sailing is and has been weight sensitive. People, you hear it in the boat park. How heavy are you this morning? What are you weighing in at? My dad says this, or my coach says I need to be X amount of weight. And you know, I grew up in that environment where, oh, you know, do I put rocks in my life jacket today because I'm too light, or do I skip breakfast because I'm too heavy? So all these things that have been happening and they're just so unhealthy. When I was coming through and I was young, it was pretty scary, you know, when you start your period and how am I going to last eight hours on the water? And it's pretty easy just to turn around and say, oh, I've got a stomach ache or I don't feel well and not go sailing. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing a lot at. And this isn't even junior, this is youth sailors that didn't know how to deal with starting their periods and, and, you know, don't know how to tell their male coach or even their female coach for that matter. And these are all really important conversations that we are having and need to be had more and, and not to be a taboo. Historically, sailing has happened that we have been specializing kids really young, but if you actually look at the medals, you know, the average medal is early 30s, I believe. And so there's no need to, you know, lose other sports at this stage. Like I think the better sailors are actually able to pick up a tennis racket, kick a football, play rugby, and, you know, learn all these coordinations and how to be a part of a team. It's very, very important for their success in sailing. Statistics show the number of females who belong to yachting and boating clubs in this country drops from about 30% at youth level to 20% at senior level. This is something clubs in Yachting New Zealand are trying to address, and leading a lot of the work in this area is Rosie Chapman. Rosie is the women's sailing manager and lays radio coach at Yachting New Zealand, and is focused on attracting more female participants, retaining those already sailing, and also advancing equal opportunities. We talk about a range of things in this podcast, from quotas and gender equity at the high performance level to pathways and obstacles. But we also discuss important topics like menstruation and body image and what needs to be done to cater more to the needs of female sailors. Rosie also talks about her journey from high performance sailor to coach and how this has affected her outlook. And she also opens up about some of the struggles she's faced. This was a really good discussion and it'll be useful for any young sailors, both female and male, and their parents and coaches to have a listen. Enjoy. Well, it's my great pleasure to welcome to the show Rosie Chapman. Thank you for having me. Well, um, you're actually a very special guest because you're the first yachting New Zealand colleague that I've had on the podcast, so it's a a very special one, but also the work you're doing is very important. Um, So I'm just wondering, perhaps you could start by telling listeners what your role is here at Yachting New Zealand. Yep, definitely. So first of all, no pressure being the first of Yachting New Zealand to be on the show. Um, But so yeah, my job title is Women Sailing Manager. And that's also kind of two parts. So also the head laser radial coach as well. So within that, I'm leading and implementing the women's sailing strategy alongside Raynor and Liv. And then also leading the radial women's program all the way down to our Aon youth program. It's a big question. You've been in that role a couple of years now. What have you seen in that time? 
Yeah, so, well, to begin with, I guess, the first six months or so, just kind of getting used to the system in New Zealand and the Kiwi way and learning a lot about what was happening, what was previously happening, and what a lot of people think. Um, and then now for the last 18 months, really kind of implementing that strategy alongside other people. And I've seen in that time lots of positive change, uh, more females through junior and youth sailing. And we feel like, especially at the youth level, we're actually retaining a lot more females, which is really exciting. Do you feel like there are more opportunities for women opening up um, in sailing and, and even in the wider industry? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Sail GP this last few weeks is a, is a great example. So really exciting to see that professional sailing is opening up and that females can get involved with that. Well, what, what could be done to accelerate some of that? To accelerate that, I guess, more opportunities. Uh, it would be lovely to see a full female GP team one day. And then just kind of continuing to look at the youth level and seeing if there are more opportunities to get girls out in wasps and other foiling boats so they can get experience at a younger age. Because we've seen um, quotas and things like the ocean race and you've just talked about Sail GP, which have, have moved to bring in females into the teams. Um, do you uh, agree with that approach? Oh, definitely. I think it's a really positive start. I think that's how females are going to get their foot in the door and there's no reason why females can't be helming and, and being an important role on these boats. Further to that, what sort of impact does that have when a young sailor sees you know, a female in a high-profile position? Oh, it's super exciting and motivating for these young girls. I was at the Optimist Nationals, it um, must have been a month ago now, and just the buzz around these girls going to sell GP and having conversations and them seeing that these girls, you know, Erica and Liv, they know and they've followed their pathway. I think it's super exciting for these girls and, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Do you think that the pathways are obvious for our young female sailors? I think they're definitely becoming more visible. We've worked really hard on showing the pathway at that junior to youth level through to Olympic, and I think we've done a good job on that. We can obviously do more work in that area, but we are really strongly putting a lot of time and effort into it. I think we need to work, and we are looking to work more with that keelboat and the side outside of Olympic sailing. We do need to do some more work there. We've seen a move to um, gender equity for things like the 24 Paris Olympics. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Um, yeah, I think you know it's it's really awesome. Firstly, that there's going to be equal medals for male and female. It's how it should be, and that's really positive. It's um, it's going to be different having a lot of mixed classes. I know we're one of the only sports to do that, so it is it's going to be change, um, and we've got some work to do there on on finding the right partnerships, and that's obviously going to be a challenge, a positive challenge, but males and females together. Um, but overall, I think it is exciting and the sport is changing and evolving. So, and what sort of impact will they have that have on uh, talent identification, on high performance programs? Yeah, I think, you know, historically, especially at that youth level, males and females have tried to find, you know, another male or another female to sell a boat, say a 420 or 29er together. And sometimes there aren't them around or they prefer to sell with a boy or a girl at a younger age. So I think it's exciting that they can now see that, hey, there's, there's something beyond my youth career. I can actually start sailing with the opposite sex and enjoying it. Um, within high performance programs, just putting more emphasis on programs for females and putting more support around it too. What sorts of conversations do you think we need to have to advance equal opportunities? I think we need to have lots more conversations still, and some of them are going to be difficult. Um, and I think it's just talking 
to lots of people getting lots of opinions and listening. I think it's really important that we debrief and we hear what's happened in the past and we look to the future and, and our sailors, coaches, everyone to get involved. And we are kind of doing that process at the moment to understand more about the barriers that we have got currently out there. Are there conversations that also need to involve other sports or other organisations? Yeah, I think we're really lucky to have High Performance Sport and Sport New Zealand and to be able to ask them, see what other sports are doing and also just to open that door up and have communications with sports outside of sailing and see, okay, what are you guys currently doing and what can we also do to implement things? Now, I'm guessing you'll be involved um, quite heavily in that process as, as women's sailing manager and, and also the laser radial coach. Um, but I'm keen to talk a little bit more about you. I'm not sure if that's your favourite subject or not, but... Uh, <laughs> Just thought it might be useful to delve a little into your background so people sort of know more about you and how you got to this point. Um, the accent obviously tells us something of a story. Uh, you grew up in Cornwall and started sailing as a youngster. What sort of experiences did you have in your younger years? <laughs> yeah, so not my favourite subject to talk about myself, but um, yep, accents there. I grew up in Cornwall and started sailing uh, Miradingi with my dad. Um, and we actually just started racing straight away. So I grew up not knowing there was such a thing as cruising. So I grew up starting to crew and then gradually would start steering in races and just learned to absolutely love it. Um, my brother and sister didn't take to sailing. They're both surfers. So I was actually the only one out of us three to, to go down this pathway. So what, you just were corralling your father to go sailing <laughs> any chance you could? Yeah, yeah, I was, and we were really fortunate, actually. Um, my auntie bought my dad a mirror dinghy for his 50th, so it's an old wooden boat, and kind of went on from there and just absolutely loved it and wanted to be on the water all the time. What, what did you do when he wasn't, well, like, I'm sure he had to work, so what, what can you do? Yeah, so I ended up kicking him out of the boat probably when I was about 13 um, and getting my own crew and just kind of would go out all the time on my own, and it, there wasn't a lot of coaching, if any, down in Cornwall at that time, so it was just kind of learning as you went what sort of aspirations would you have had at this stage um i remember it was my first zone um we had like zone squads it was southwest mirror zone squad and hearing about a world championships in australia the following year and i left the meeting and just turned around to my dad and said hey i want to do that so i saw something and, and i did end up going to that world championships and i guess just at a young age hearing and seeing what was going on and just saying hey i want to do it too did you have any sort of barriers i guess to your advancement as a young sailor? Um, the only barrier I would have had would have been financial, but I was super fortunate that I got out there and told my story and was really lucky to have a lot of benefactors helping me. Um, I actually sailed with a boy for most of my junior career. Um, only at the very, very end, I sailed one of my best friends. Um, but yeah, so the only barrier I really had would have been financial and the travel and the stress that I put on my family because living in Cornwall, you had to get over the Tamar Bridge, which was two hours before you could start doing any real regattas so you made um the british great britain sailing team uh, i think in the mid 2000s you know how did that come about and how did that change your outlook yeah it was it was interesting actually because as a youth sailor um i'll never forget being told by the old youth manager that i would never make it onto the team so that kind of put that grit and determination in. i did it independently for a long time so i was kind of an honorary member of the canadian team um, and then got approached by the British sailing manager at the time to be on the Scandia team. Um, so Outlook, it, it kind of got me used to sailing in a squad and learning that kind of culture and giving back and learning from others, which was awesome. 
um, and outlook it just became more achievable so you could see all the people around you like the likes of Ben Ainsley Shirley Robertson on the scene and kind of just really aspired to to be as good as them so when people tell you that you're never going to make it or you can't do it what impact does that have on you oh for me personally it just makes me go okay I'm going to show you um, for sure growing up if someone said that you couldn't do something for me that just was more of a reason to do it it's a bit like biting my nails I guess Dude, <laughs> interesting analogy. Do you think that some other that some youngsters get told that, but believe it these days? Yeah, I think they do, and it's interesting. I think we're really fortunate now that there is so many, so much opportunities for coaching. Um, so I think you know we all look to coaches to solve everything, and sometimes when you know a coach might turn around or you might think that it's not achievable, you probably take it more to heart. Whereas maybe back then because we didn't have that around us you kind of it was more of a challenge in that sense to do it on your own so you sailed in a few laser radial world champs um yeah but moved into the 470 in 2009 what was why the, why the change you know i was uh, quite unfortunate to have a lot of surgery on my abdomen so i probably shouldn't have done most of those uh, laser radial worlds was advised not to um and so just the pressure on my abdomen of hiking the idea was to go 470 sailing and obviously trapezing um, and jumped in with Hannah just before the Worlds. I think we did a week's training together. Um, but unfortunately, by the time Sail for Gold came around that year, I just the same thing with my abdomen and kind of had to make a decision whether or not I was going to keep trying and, and damaging and hurting myself or take that change to coaching. Mm. How devastating, I guess, was it for someone who had potentially dreamed of, you know, Olympics and, and beyond to just sort of know that that was the end? Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty devastating. It was quite hard to sit in the um, the operating theatre when you watch other people go to the worlds and such like. But I think it just to me it built a lot of resilience, and I realised you could bounce back. And the other thing that along the way of having been fortunate to be coached by a lot of really amazing people, a lot of them in Canada, um, one of them was Kelly Hand, who was, who was a big influence of mine, um, and just seeing how much of an impact she had on me as a coach made me realise that hey, if I could do this to other sailors, then that'd be pretty awesome. And it suddenly there was an opportunity for it to become about other people and not about myself and it was quite an easy transition to make so i saw a picture of you with hannah mills as the hannah that you're yep. talking about who's obviously gone on to be one of the world's most successful women's 470 sailors and last weekend was involved with the british sail gp team are there kind of times when you wonder what you might have been able to achieve as a sailor Oh, for sure. And and watching Hannah and her journey has been incredible. I'd say she's one of the best female sailors in the world, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, you always got a little part of you that goes, oh, you know, could that have been me on the podium too? But at the same time, I think I look at where I am now and the opportunities I've had, and I'm pretty thankful for those. But yeah, there's always that part of you that wonders for sure. So was it natural then to, to get into coaching? Yeah, it was natural to get into coaching for sure. I remember being on a, the probably one and only coaching course I've done in Britain was with Alan Olive um, and him just sitting me down afterwards and, and telling me that I was a natural coach and that it was an opportunity if I wanted it ever. And I was quite young at the time. But hearing him say that, and it was quite awesome because I really looked up to him as a coach. And yeah, I think it was a natural transition. And when the opportunity came in Canada and they approached me and said, would you like to do this full time? And I was a very green new coach at the time. It was, yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, so how did that connection with Canada come about? Yeah, so it was boy, back in 2005, 2006, and I was over in Holland, actually, just one of my first European experiences. Again, pretty new out of surgery, unfortunately. And I was there camping at the Delta Lloyd Regatta. So I went over with my dad and a friend, Ollie, 
and um, we were over at a pre-warm-up regatta in Horn and it was blowing 30 knots every day and raining and we were camping and uh, I met a girl called Danielle Dubay there and her mum and it was her first European event and we got talking as you do on long postponements and they kind of said okay we've got a circuit going on in St Margaret's Bay this year North Americans and then the worlds were going to be at Marina del Rey in California and did I want to come over and train with Danielle and so I you know I didn't know this girl in the boat park that the week before and then yeah, kind of went over to Canada and just took that opportunity. I remember before I got on the plane, it was my first regatta that my dad wasn't going to be at. And he just said, take every opportunity you can, and then we'll figure out how to get you there afterwards. And so I've kind of just done that throughout my career now, just taking opportunities. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I was one of Danielle's bridesmaids at her wedding. So that's how that's how the Canada Inn happened. And then you got asked to go and coach in the US in, what is it, 2016? How did that come about? Yeah, so... So after being with, with Danielle in Canada, I came back and was part of the British team and then, like I said, stopped sailing. Um, and then that, that province of Nova Scotia had approached me to coach there. So I was the head coach in Nova Scotia and then decided to leave that and got went over to Quebec as their head coach and was there for five or six years. And then whilst I was in Quebec, I was actually at a, a regatta called Orange Bowl, which is one of the biggest youth events in the world in December down in Florida. And a really good friend of mine, Sarah, kind of run up to me in the boat park, gave me a big hug and said, do you want to move to Houston? So if someone had asked me, however many years ago, are you going to live in Texas? I would have laughed at them. Um, and just, you know, I wasn't looking for a new job, but I heard them out, flew in for an interview, and it just seemed like such a good fit with the culture of the program and ended up taking that opportunity down there. And how has that shaped you as a, a coach, those sort of experiences in Canada and the U.S.? Yeah, I think it shaped me. I mean, you learn all the time from the environment you're in and from the sailors. And I was really fortunate to work with some really good sailors, really good coaches and surround myself with good people. Um, and just, you know, in the U.S., had this team in, in Houston, Texas, and then worked with the ODP, which is the Olympic Development Program, with U.S. Sailing and kind of took opportunities with them and got to ride along with some awesome coaches, you know, Morgan, Risa and such likes, and have managed to develop personally and professionally. Well, it must have worked because you even coached Charlotte Rose to back-to-back titles in the Laser Radio at the Youth Worlds. And I even saw you were named US Coach of the Year in 2017. Yeah. Not a bad little accolade. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. I was really surprised to get that. Really, um, really amazing. Um, yeah, your coaching Charlotte was awesome. Like I said, Charlotte was an amazing athlete. I'm sure that regardless of what I did, she was going to win those worlds. But um, yeah, that was a really incredible experience. And I think the biggest thing I took from Charlotte's success was she wouldn't have got there without her team. So being able to see her team that she had in Gulf Coast Youth Sailing and at the Olympic Development Program. And just I remember when she won that medal, just kind of going back to the sailors and saying, hey, she wouldn't have got this without all of your hard work and and pushing every single day at training. So that was that was really cool to see that you need that team around you. So everything's going well and you're achieving great results. Then why then the move to New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, I was actually funny. I was in New Zealand in, I think it was 2015 for the Finn Gold Cup, coaching the Canadians. Don't quote me on that. It might have been 2016. But anyway, I was here and I remember being on a beach and saying to someone, if I ever got an opportunity to move to New Zealand, I'd never come back. Um, and then just kind of you know Ian Stewart reached out to me and this job was posted and I just read it and I remember forwarding it to my family and my mum just said I think that's your dream job and so I kind of yeah got flown down here and interviewed and straight away it felt like a, a pretty easy fit but a big decision big life decision to move to the other side of the world that was that was hard to get my head around. 
do you think you'd ever be back in England coaching there in Cornwall in a nice uh, English summer in inverted quotes? <laughs> English summer, yeah, the famous um, famous English summers. I mean, if my mum's listening, obviously I'd love to come back to England one day. <laughs> um, you know, you never say you never say never, and I wouldn't have ever been out of dream that this is where my career would have taken me. So I'm, you know, I'm always willing to look at opportunities, but right now pretty happy to be in New Zealand. So are the challenges that female sailors face here, are they similar to what's found in the rest of the world? Yeah, for sure. There there have been and there are barriers for female sailors, and, and that's the same in, in all parts of the world. Um, I think down here, maybe it's it's highlighted because we have less sailors in general. So there are, there are less sailors in the pool, whereas in a country like America, there are a lot more sailors. So it seems like, I don't know, it seems like there's almost less of a problem there just because of the numbers, but it is the same in all countries, yes. Do you think it will get to a point where they, where we won't have these problems, where it will be equal opportunities? Yeah, definitely. I like to think with, with all the progression happening at World Sailing, Professional Sail GP, that there will be less problems. I think when females see that there's a pathway, if you look at other sports in like the States, for instance, where football, soccer over there has gone more professional, so now there are more females playing soccer. So I think you know when, when the young girls here are seeing that they can be the next Erica or Liv Mackay and be on a Sail GP boat, then we will just see more females staying in our sport. So at Yachting New Zealand, we um, pulled out a, a, the Women and Girls in Sailing strategy a couple of years ago, which you talked about uh, earlier, which you were leading. And you played quite a large role in the research into the development of that strategy. I guess, what were some of the main findings that came out of it? Yeah, so I guess, I mean, a lot of credit there to, to both Erica and Ray and others that have been involved with that. So I kind of came in almost at the tail end of the strategy and was really fortunate to be able to see kind of the bare bones of it and then help help structure the final pieces. But in no means was I involved in all the research. Um, but the biggest things we were seeing is, you, you know, you are getting a drop off from that junior to youth with girls getting too big for the optimist and not really knowing where to go. Um, and then when they were going to youth, thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go to university because there isn't going to be a career for me after Olympic sailing. And so, you know, one of the big things we've looked at that is to say, okay, cool, how do we keep these girls in sailing? Well, you know, showing the junior pathway presentation at the Optimist and Starling and being able to say to the girls and the boys, okay, these are opportunities that you can do next. Try lots of different boats, try crewing, you know, get out your Optimist, your Starling, your BIC and think, okay, what's next? And there are more things around the corner. Another part of it was, I guess, about the friend network, isn't it? And, and you know, how do you develop that side of it? Absolutely. I mean, girls are very, very social and they enjoy sailing with other people. They enjoy being in that social environment. And so if you're in a, a group of girls and one of you leaves and there's only five of you to begin with, it starts to have a, a pretty, pretty punishing. So, yeah, definitely keeping that social element there, keeping the girls sailing together. And, and sometimes having things like girls only regattas are actually really, really positive. And the girls kind of, quote, you know, having more fun, not having the guys yelling on the start line was a big one that kind of ran through to me. So is this all about just trying to find more high-performance sailors, or is it more than that? Oh, no, it's more than that. I mean, you're always going to have only a few people that want to go all the way to high-performance. You know, we're, I'm a big believer, like, sailing is you know, it's for life, and look at where I've come through sailing and then coaching, and the, within the industry there are so many opportunities, and sailing gives you so many skills. So, you know, I see my role as actually, hey, we're trying to just keep these young girls sailing. We're trying to keep them loving the sport. And then, yes, a few of them will go on to high performance. The others will go on to hopefully, you know, coaching, keel boats. Their kids will sail in the future. Like, 
we're looking at this how do we keep them in the sport for life so sailing is one of the few sports where males and females compete against each other particularly at junior and, and youth level what impact do you think this has on young females I think that there are positives in it. I think there are some real big positives of girls and boys sailing against each other and together. And we're really fortunate that we're a sport where you can sail against boys and girls and that the girls will challenge boys and the boys will challenge girls. But I think it's also really important that we identify both the female and the male success. I think in the past it's been very much maybe first girl will be awarded, maybe won't. But now we're really, it's looking way more positive with the fact that we're going to events and we're seeing one, two, three male, one, two, three female. And like at our recent Ocean Bridge regatta, you saw that on the results. It was always first, second, third female, first, second, third male, as it should be. There are real interesting conversations around that. Should the females be scored separately? Should they not even be included in the male results? And I think these are things that we're looking at and we're having discussions, but it's really positive that we're saying, okay, we are different. We do need to score them separately. Um, making big gains at, the, at a local event I was at recently, really great, like I said, to see first, second, third male and female awarded. But, you know, the, the boy was the only one that did a speech at the end. So there, we've still got a long way to go where we see, you know, the girl speech, the, the boy speech, and we do really equalise everything. Do you think that some young females actually enjoy taking on the boys and, and beating the boys? Oh, absolutely. Like, you mean, when I was coming through, I wanted to beat the boys too, you know, and it, it was always a challenge and you look at every boat as a boat. I think physiologically, though, we do have to be aware that a lot of girls in the junior boats are getting bigger than the boys quicker, and that's just how it is. And then we kind of get to the youth boats, and the boys start to shoot up and overtake the girls. So physiologically, a lot of the time, the girl is at a disadvantage. So it's important that we're aware of that, and we're just helping these young girls and guiding them through into the correct classes that will help them be successful. It's probably a good time to, to talk about this because this is a really big um, issue. You talk about the fact that young females develop, often develop earlier than the young males. Do you think, ever see girls staying too long in a class thinking that they have to because of their age rather than their size? Yep, there is that. There's people thinking, okay, where my age is at this, this level right now, I should be sailing X class. Um, and also, you know, people want to achieve in that junior class. They want to go overseas and traveling teams and all these things where they feel like when they leave the class, they're not going to have those opportunities because they haven't been made clear to them in the past. Um, so definitely we are seeing historically girls. And we're also seeing, you know, girls that just get too big and they don't feel that success. They don't see it and they just go off into other sports. So you might lose them, you know. A tall girl might, might be lost to basketball or netball versus, hey, you know what, shoulder tap, would you like to go try a fever or try crewing a 29er or 420? So who is that up to? Who, who needs to be making that, that point to the young sailors? You know, I think it's onus on everybody. You know, we're at Yachting New Zealand, we're talking, we're going around to young junior events, delivering the pathway presentation, you know, giving giving numbers, emails out and saying, I've said to so many young girls now and I've had them follow up, hey, just give me a call, we can talk about what you want to do next. The other thing is just upskilling our coaches. Um, we've started a club network, which I'm really excited about because within that club network, there's going to be a female at each club that's sitting in that position that can just have those conversations with you that we're helping upskill. And the same with the coaches are just being able to, both male and female coaches, just being able to say, hey, look, you know, what are you thinking next? And just try this, get in a P class, get in a Starling or double handed and, and, you know, just giving them these opportunities to try other things. You mentioned about the, the girls only regatta um, earlier on and, and one of the things that many competitors mentioned at the recent um, Predict Win Champs at Coe 
is they fit the fact they really like the atmosphere and sort of the lack of shouting and, and bluster that you can get at sort of mixed events. How can we cr- recreate that at, at mixed regattas, or should there be more fe- female-only events? Yeah, so that Predict win girls champs. This year was actually my first year going because of COVID, we're not overseas and it didn't clash with anything. And the atmosphere there was just amazing. Like just getting to the beach and the girls were buzzing, probably more than I've ever seen at event, a sailing event in my life. It felt, it was just amazing. And, you know, all these young girls coming up to me and they, like you've said, they just said they loved the fact they weren't the boys, yelling them at the start line and that, you know, the prizes were amazing. Um, you know, unfortunately with the conditions, it was light winds, but it was challenging and they need to be good at that. And all the girls stepped up and I sort of was really impressed with what I saw on the water. Um, I just left that regatta saying, okay, this needs to be two days. And we're talking with Coe at the moment and they've all done a fantastic job there. Um, yes, I think there needs to be more female-only events. I think it's a really good opportunity for the girls to get together and just take away the boys as well and, and give them that opportunity. Um, and then, like I said, yeah, making this two days, girls-only training is really positive for that. There's a time and a place, like I said, they love being with the boys, but it's also awesome just to give them those opportunities to grow just together and, and make mistakes in front of each other and, and have a laugh and, and move on. Do you think enough consideration is given to young females who are going through or recently been through, say, puberty, especially when it comes to regattas? Because sometimes, you know, they can be out on the water for six hours. Yeah, I mean, look, when I was when I was coming through and I was young, it was pretty scary, you know, when you start your period and how am I going to last eight hours on the water? And it's pretty easy just to turn around and say, oh, I've got a stomach ache or I don't feel well and not go sailing. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing a lot at. And this isn't even junior, this is youth sailors that didn't know how to deal with starting their periods and, and you know, don't know how to tell their male coach or even their female coach for that matter. Um, and yeah like you said those long days on the water you know even being a female coach it's a bit awkward when you have to zoom off and go to the toilet off the back of the coach boat and I think these are things that are not looked at because historically there's only been men in those situations Um, I think from all the people I talk to in the race committees here they're all very eager to listen and see how to make it easier for girls having toilets available or coming in halfway through the day and these are all really important conversations that we are having and need to be had more and, and not to be a taboo you're also having conversations with with athletes and coaches about you know menstrual cycles and how it, that affects their their training and their their racing. Can you just explain a little bit more about what's going on there? Yeah, definitely. So I think to be honest, New Zealand's ahead of the curve with this. It's really awesome to see the research that's been going on, and, and we're very fortunate to have high performance sport and some really great advocates there to help us. So what's happened is through that, there's been. There's been a lot of studies done with females um, around their menstrual cycle and how to use that four-week menstrual cycle and say, okay, how do I perform at my best peak and how do I use it to my advantage and really kind of, okay, cool, I'm going to do specific training. So how we first started it is we identified that we were going to talk to our Olympic team and our squad sailors, so kind of the, the top-end females in the country, and we ran a workshop with them, an interactive workshop, and it was really great. We talked about, you know, contraception, periods, all these things, how are we going to perform around them, what's kind of some signs where you can be worried about things you know you skipping periods all these conversations that people just hadn't been having in in the past 
Um, and from that, all the sailors came and they said, look, we want you to talk to the coaches. We want you to sit down. So the next workshop was with our high-performance coaches at Yachting New Zealand. And again, really interactive, asking some great questions. And from that, I asked that coaching group, okay, what's next? And we all agreed it was to upskill our youth and junior coaches. So that workshop's going to be happening next month. And again, just to talk to them about all these things and to upskill them and you know, to say to them, what can we do better and support each other? Um, and ultimately keep these females sailing and help them and then we're also talking to our youth girls as well and that'll be another individual group at the end of May and then I will also talk to our junior sailors the girls there and just again start talking to them asking if they have questions like you know I've had conversations with young girls at the yacht club of hey how do you manage your periods what can we do to help so it's really awesome to see that New Zealand is front-footing this and saying okay we have periods we're girls and how can we be even better with them there's also the conversation around body image, and we saw a story with um, two-time Olympic medalist um, Joe Alley, who's now also uh, one of our coaches with the, the NACRA team. How important is it, I guess, to be talking about that, and, 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 but also how concerning is it that we've still got you know, sailors who are, have eating disorders? Yeah, I mean, unbelievable that Joe was able to come forward and say all that I think it was really powerful and, and really amazing that she said that and having Joe not only as a high level athlete that we all know her as but also having her within that coaching space now has been really positive that she's come forward I know other people in rowing have also come forward and shared stories and it's that initial front footing of hey you know putting your hand up and saying I've had I've had problems in the past um, so the, the study that went out was done with uh, Jen McKay from rowing Mackey sorry Jen Mackey from rowing and it was I had a conversation with her when they were trying to form the data and a lot of our sailors, female sailors, came forward anonymously and gave information, which was really helpful. And from that, I had a phone call with Jen and said, look, what can we do for our sailors? And she said, look, we've got this presentation, we've got a workshop, how would you like to go forward? And I said, I put my hand up straight away and said, yeah, we want to be a part of this. We want to be able to support our sailors because, you know, sailing is and has been weight sensitive people you hear it in the boat park how heavy are you this morning what are you weighing in at my dad says this or my coach says I need to be x amount of weight and you know I grew up in that environment where oh you know do I put rocks in my life jacket today because I'm too light or do I skip breakfast because I'm too heavy so all these things that have been happening and they're just so unhealthy and we really need to to be the first people to front foot it and say okay this isn't about the ideal weight this is about fueling so a kind of terminology that we've switched to is are you are you fueling yourself enough for the day are you actually putting enough in and educating the sailors to think more about that and their training versus worrying about what they weigh on a scales so if someone listening is has got some concerns or you know or questions and, and maybe doesn't feel comfortable asking someone at their club or their coach what what can they do so I think the really good thing is there's a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of these YouTube videos. They're really good. And they can also reach out to you know, Yachty New Zealand. There's other people at Sport New Zealand, High Performance Sport, and just say, hey, I, I want to talk. I want to have a chat. I want to see what you're thinking. And, you know, the likes of Joe and all these sailors coming through, they're more than happy to have a conversation. And I think I love it what Joe quoted is how I wish I'd been a couple of kilos heavier in the 470. She would have still won her gold and silver medals and it, it wouldn't have changed anything. So it's really important that, you know, young girls are realizing that we do go through hormone changes. Our body is changing. I mean, you know, I remember putting on a lot of weight when I went through puberty and I just felt, I didn't know, you know, I felt like I'd be slow in the boat I was sailing. And if someone had actually gone, you know what, that's really healthy, that probably would have had a really good effect on me. The other common, you know, thing 
that girls think is, oh, it's really good, I'm training hard if I miss my periods, which is the complete opposite. It means that you're not fueling your body enough and that long-term you could have some issues. But again, historically, we always think, oh, that's really good. I want to train until I lose my periods. And that sounds awful, but that is something. These are the things, the myths that people aren't understanding are actually damaging them long-term. Did you go through some of that? You talked about you put weight on yourself. Did you skip meals? Um, I definitely thought about it. And it's interesting be, coming away from being an athlete. And I'm, you know, I'm definitely not an athlete anymore. I do a bit of running and surfing and such like. But, yeah, you're always a bit conscious of it. You always think, oh, you, you know, a rule that I have now, my partner is, yeah, there's no scales around because why would we have scales in the house? Um, so I think you are hyper aware when you want to perform, when you have a goal. And, you know, like even our old pathway posters have weights on them. You know, it's we used to have on our on our Aon form, what weight are you wearing in? We used to ask people their weight, which, you know, we people weren't doing it to be malicious. They were doing it because that's what you did. And now we're realizing, hey, you know, we, we've got to move away from that. Just uh, taking you back to the, the strategy, one of the big aims um, is to attract and retain more females in sailing. Because we see quite a big drop-off, um, particularly during the, the teenage years, and statistics tell us that the number of females who are members of a yachting or boating club tend to drop from around about 30% to 20% at this age. You know, What happens? Is it more than just um, life changes? Yeah, I th- you know, like I said, we talked about it before, but obviously it's, it's going through hormone change and, and stuff like that does have an impact. The other one is, you know, if they if they are in a boat they shouldn't be in and say they're too big for the boat or too small and they don't feel like they're having that success, it's very easy to transition into another sport where you're just sailing against, sorry, you're just competing against maybe a female or a male in like surf life saying, for instance, the females are separate or basketball, netball, soccer, all these things. And they kind of go, well, well that seems a bit nicer because all my friends are around me and I'm performing. So that's why it's another reason why we're really trying to say, hey, you whatever position you're in, your first girl, second girl, like we're trying to highlight the success of girls within within the sport. So at a more local level, should clubs be doing, uh, taking a different approach to, to both males and females? Yeah, because, you know, we are different and we like different things. Like it's, it's super interesting. The guys like to chat a lot in the change room too. You walk past change rooms and you hear them all. But, you know, we are different and we need to, to make sure that we're kind of building those friendships and relationships for the girls. I know there are some sailing clubs that do things like girls-only sleepovers and they've had huge success and they get their older sailors to come in and, and check it out and, and help and come and talk. And it's just been this amazing environment that's created and these girls are going to be friends for the rest of their lives. We're not just talking about sailors, and we've touched on a little bit um, because when it comes to retention, there's need for more females to be involved as coaches, race officials, uh, administrators. Are these sorts of things that you're also involved in? Yeah, definitely. The, the coaches is actually one of the big things that we're looking at the strategy at the moment. So last year, I took out the first annual female coaches survey, and I think I had 50 responses. And this year, I've just sent out the second one. I've already, in the last 24 hours, had 20 responses. So really positive to see that we do have more female coaches out there. And we're just going to try and upskill them as much as possible. We've got more female coaches at the Aon program. The goal is to have more female coaches at the high performance level and just really say, okay, you know, there's no reason why we can't have more female coaches and just giving them the opportunities, upskilling them. So that's been really huge. Definitely in that administrative role as well. Like, you know, you look at the America's Cup, it was great to have conversations with the likes of Joe around Ineos and see what she's doing and say, hey, okay, how do we how do we showcase and show that there are females at the top end of our sport? Joe at Ineos, not Joe LA. Yeah, sorry, Joe at Ineos, yeah. Who is? Joe Grinley. Uh, well, I think she was the chief operating... Chief operating officer, correct. Yeah. 
it's a, I guess, you know, how crucial was it for, to have those role models for young females? Oh, it's super crucial to be able to have the role models. And we're so fortunate in New Zealand. I remember being blown away when I first got here that you can reach out to any of these people at any time. Like, they're so accessible. And just being able to shoulder tap, have a conversation and saying, hey, they've made it. Like, you know, you go into yacht clubs and you see all these different these different girls around. And, yeah, it's really, really motivating and super important. And growing up, you know, we've all had role models. And even if they're in other sports, it's very important that they're visible. Who are yours? Um, I'd say through sailing, definitely the likes of Kelly Han from Canada, huge role model for me. Um, and then my dad was a big role model as well growing up. Um, my sister. So, yeah, and then in, in other sports, I looked at surfers and, you know, that was a big thing in my family. So looked up to a lot of different people. So we've heard uh, about initiatives like the Balance is Better program through Sport New Zealand. You know, what does that mean? Yeah, so that program, it's awesome actually. We've been talking with Sport New Zealand a lot about that. So it's about doing multiple sports at the same time. So not doing early, like early specialization is a thing. And some sports, you know, skiing is an example where, you know, the kids do need to specialize very young. Historically, sailing has happened that we have been specializing kids really young. But if you actually look at the medals, you know, the average medal is early 30s, I believe. And so there's no need to, you know, lose other sports at this stage. Like I think the better sailors are actually able to pick up a tennis racket, kick a football, play rugby and, you know, learn all these coordinations and how to be a part of a team. It's very, very important for their success in sailing. Because a lot of parents are probably listening thinking, no, they've got to be sailing all the time and they've got these little high performance programs going on. Yeah. You know, what, what do you say to, to parents like that? I say that, like, I know, you know, I'm not personally a parent. I know parents only want what's best for their kids. But I think it's really important that for the longevity of their sailing career, that they're doing multiple different sports and also just trying different things. Like, yep, if you want to sell your Opti Starling for 2029 or at the weekend, that's great. But try jumping other boats, take other opportunities, go on keel boats, you know, go to schools, teams racing, nationals on at the moment. Like, there's lots of ways to improve your sailing. And then, like I said before, do other sports like, you know, the mates at school, what are they doing? Still play hockey. And I think looking back at my career, I had a big break in my own personal hockey and just made the South of England, Southwest of England um, team. And I was coming into that world championships I was talking about. And the RYA turned around to me and said, you can't play hockey anymore. And I sort of said, what? Why can't I play hockey? And they said, oh, no, well, look, imagine if you break your fingers or do this or that. You've got to focus. And I was 14, 15 years old being told I couldn't play hockey. So I think if I was to ever go back, I would have kept playing hockey and doing all those things. And I mean, sure, I could have got injured. But, you know, unfortunately, we can get injured walking across the road. You know, we play hockey in New Zealand, eh? so you could play here if you want to. I could do, yeah. My knees will handle it. <laughs> um, you're also involved in the Women in High Performance Sport Residency Fund Programme. Just talk to me, what does that mean and, and how did you come about uh, being involved? Yeah, so I mean, it's been an awesome experience so far. I've really enjoyed it. Um, the residency part was interesting. So when it first came out, I was actually already employed by Yawning New Zealand. Um, and I think that they couldn't give it to me because I wasn't a resident and since then become a resident. Um, and how it happens is it's, it's a group of females so sports would apply for it and the idea is to give opportunities for females at high performance to keep them in high performance and have them moving through and one day be high performance directors and all these things within sport um, and through it to me the biggest thing I've got out of it is the connections so I'm, I'm with another group of girls and ladies I should say and they're unbelievable and they've done some amazing things and just being able to pick up a phone and have a chat and say hey you know what do you think of this or what are you facing there and just being able to support each other um, the other amazing thing is being a part of the High Performance Sport Leadership Program. So this year was the first time they ran it 50% male, 50% female. 
and that again was a really great experience and just being in a room with all these really amazing leaders. Do you feel like a leader? I like to think I'm becoming a leader. Um, it's, uh, it's always difficult when you've come from a coaching background, but like I learned on this course, coaching is leadership. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been an awesome opportunity to grow and, and they have a buddy system. They actually buddied us with male, so they had male-female buddy partnerships and, and that was really awesome. And how long does this program go for? Um, so it's finished now, but the connections we all made on the course, like I would say, that they'll stick with you for life. Nice. Do you ever jump back in a boat yourself? Do you ever do any sailing? Yeah, you know, it's a funny one. People ask it all the time. When you're coaching, you know, five days a week, in a way the last thing you want to do is get in a boat. But last weekend I jumped in a Zephyr which was good fun um, and yeah just taking opportunities I've been at the Starling and such like and definitely moving forward I'd like to do some of my more of my own sailing and some other sports I kind of focused on getting my running in last year which was really fun but um, yeah always looking for opportunities and I think the next over the winter I'd like to learn how to foil would be a great challenge what type of foiling Elise is trying to get me on the wasp so that would be good and then the wing foiling also looks pretty fun and, and quite low admin <laughs> which is always nice. Well, it's certainly getting really popular, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. Um, just coming towards the end, but um, you know, what would you say to a young female sailor or parents of a young female sailor listening to this podcast? I would say just you know, get out there and try all different types of sailing. Like you hear me saying, I want to start foiling or winging or whatever it is, and just take opportunities when they come. Like really jump on any opportunity, even if it means just saying, hey, I'm going to put my... Starling Optimus down for a second I'm just going to try crewing so I'd say you know try everything and just ask questions like pick up a phone to me pick up a phone to someone at your yacht club don't be afraid there's no stupid question to ask and just see how and where you want to go and how you can find the best path for yourself. What about the next steps for you and, and Yachting New Zealand what's on the agenda? Yeah so we're delivering some workshops for the coaches so still trying to find lots of upskilling opportunities and um, going to be running the female health workshop the other thing is I've got quite a lot of radial coaching coming up with our female so the idea is to to really work with them we've got our world championships coming in October and then to keep working on the female club network so we're really big believers that if we can really support the clubs to each have a female representative and then also just looking at our youth program and making sure that we're supporting both the female sailors and coaches through that this winter. Well, it's obviously very um significant and important work that you're doing so i wish you well with the the the, the challenges and and the rewards that come up with that um so i thank you for your time but i can't let you go without um asking you first just your worst wipeout ever um so the floor is yours for worst wipeout ever well i feel ancient now before i was sailing boats which wipe out but um I guess probably two years ago watching um, Luke Cashmore get wiped out at the uh, start line of the Radial Worlds by an Aussie, Aussie girl coming screaming in and that actually ended up taking, taking him out of the regatta, broke a few hips. I think I've never seen a laser. Ribs. Ribs, sorry, yeah, ribs. I've never seen a laser kind of go up over the back um, like that. So that was pretty, pretty bad, but um, he went on and performed as well as he could and took a lot of experience from it. So I've got to say that's probably my worst wipeout to watch recently. Uh, you've told me this story before but she wasn't even part of the start line was she no she he was doing his pre-start stuff within sequence i believe and um she was just cruising around hit a gust and, and couldn't bear what well, could bear away but last minute and just roared straight up up his transom into into the side of him and you said that, that luke was able to continue sailing but did that affect his ability to 
to, oh, to, yeah. to compete very well. Definitely. It was a really, um, really tough mental uh, few days ahead for Luke. So we, we had to do a redress and then um, the redress went through and that still put him in a medal position. And going into the last day and the Aussies didn't like it because he was a threat. So they, they got the jury to actually change their mind about the redress, which just opened up this whole can of worms. I know at World Sailing have had several meetings since about how redress takes place. But poor Luke was, you know, big disadvantage with broken ribs, but kind of limped out to the start line the last few days and, and did what he could. But if any of you know, um, it can be pretty windy in Kingston. So without the proper ability to hike, it was pretty nasty few days for Luke. Yeah, I've had broken ribs too, and it's not pleasant at all. So no. for him to even get on the start line is pretty impressive. Definitely. Hey, um, thanks, Rosie. Really appreciate your time and, yeah, you. and the things that you're putting into um, female sailing in this country. Thank you. For anyone listening who might want to learn more or has a few questions, you can find Yachting New Zealand's Women and Girls in Sailing Strategy on our website, yachtingnz.org.nz, or you could drop Rosie a line. Her contact details can also be found on our website under the Our Team section. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you in a fortnight for the next episode of Broadreach Radio. 